Hey, this is Maya. And I'm Stephanie. And you're listening to The What Project. Where you'll hear inspiring stories of hope. Hey everyone, welcome back to The What Project. We are so glad that you could join us again. Today is a very exciting episode. We have our good friend, Deb. Hi, Deb. Hi. So, with the holiday season just wrapping up, Deb, what is your favorite item at a holiday meal? Okay, I know the way you meant that, but here's how I'm going to answer it. (laughs) My favorite item at a meal is the people. Mm -hmm. I love having the people. I could have a feast of any kind, but without the people, it's no fun at all. That's true. That's great. We are thankful for people, and we are thankful for you, our listener. With that said, let's just jump right into your story. Deb, tell us, how did you get saved? That's kind of a long but interesting story, though it's got many breaks in between. When I was a child, I grew up in very dysfunctional home. And in 1969, and I only remember that date because I have the Bible with the date in it yet, a pastor at the Methodist Church in Austin introduced me to Jesus in Sunday school. And I thought he was the coolest thing. So every Sunday, I didn't care if my parents were drinking or sleeping or what my brothers and sisters were doing, I walked to church because I wanted to know more about this Jesus. And, but then I kind of always had Jesus in my life because I went to Catholic schools when I got put into foster homes and stuff. But after that, I kind of walked away from the Lord because of all the trauma in my life. And I led a wrong path for a long time. So with your foster parents, you said you were in a Catholic school. So you ended up getting placed with people who were religious? Yes. Religious is a good word for it. Yes. Many people who were religious. I, I was in several foster homes because I was the oldest of eight kids, and they took all my brothers and sisters away from me. So I was very rebellious. And I totally understand rebellion because I was the queen of rebellion. And it took a long time. But yet there was always a part of me that knew God was there. I always knew Jesus was there because of the one time I had actually been with him. And so I knew he was real. I didn't know how to apply that into my life because I never went back to Sunday school again. Even in the foster homes, we never really did Sunday school. We went to church. And being Catholic, I went to church every day before school. But I didn't understand the stuff they were teaching. Sure. You know? So it was never really brought to like a personal level no, for you. No, it was never brought to a personal level. But there were things that were so personal to me, like the doxology. That is still to this day one of my favorite songs because it is so personal to me. There's several things that I can think. I knew the whole Catholic Mass by heart because it was important to me because I just knew he was important. Even though I did everything wrong in my life, he was important. Do you feel like looking back, kind of coming from a tumultuous upbringing, do you think one of the things that really drew you to Jesus was the comfort of knowing he was always there? Mm, Probably. I don't, I don't know for sure. I can't really say because there's so many things in my life that I don't know why I would have done them if I had been comfortable. It was mostly out of anger, you know, but 
so, I, you know, there was some confusion as to exactly who I was and what I was supposed to be. I didn't know who I was in Christ for many years. Actually, it wasn't probably until 1997. I was just about to graduate from Winona State with my bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology. And one of the teachers, my last quarter of school I had taken was the basics of understanding social work. And I'd always had an issue with social workers because, you know, I lived under them. And she came up to me one day and she said, you get this stuff so well, but you need to get a social worker's license or you don't have any worth in this. And that hit me wrong. I went home and I, I couldn't let go of it. I, the idea that I had no worth without a social worker's license and a social worker's license was the last thing I wanted. And I went home and we lived down by Peterson at the time. And I went for a walk on the gravel road back there. And I literally finally broke down and I said to the Lord, and I mean, this is years after teaching Sunday school and years after being a part of the Methodist church and everything else. And I finally said to the Lord, you know what? I guess I don't know if you're real or not. If you are real God, I wasn't actually thinking about Jesus being, I was asking if God was real. And I said, Lord, if you're real and bawling my eyes out the whole time, I said, I want the truth. What is my worth? Am I worthy? Am I not worthy? I want truth. And from now on, I don't want any person's truth. I don't even want my own because I know it's been filtered by the life I've lived. People's Truths are not necessarily the truth. So, Lord, I need your truth. And if you can't get that to me, then you're not the God I think you are. And I said, I'm sorry, but, you know, I kind of, I said to him, you got to prove it to me. And I don't know how you're going to get to me because I live in podunk nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, I was in my my 40s. It was soon after Jerry and I had met. We weren't married yet, but we'd been, just started dating for about a year. I graduated from college. I asked the minister at the Methodist Church to anoint me for my future job, for what I went to school for, because there was something in me that said in the Bible that said, you know, if it's not anointed work, God's not going to be there. So I wanted it anointed. And my favorite song at the time was Send Me, Mm. you know, and that was my favorite hymn at the time. And so my whole message was on that, Send Me. And it meant everything to me. And he said, well, we don't normally do that at Methodist Church. I said, please. And he did. He said, I'd be honored to. So that was my whole thing. And pretty soon we had a new pastor and Jerry and I got married and all of a sudden things started changing. And so I believe that that moment on the gravel road was the day of my true salvation. Hmm. I believe that's the day I actually got the Lord to be the Lord of my life. And I let him be the Lord of my life. And because many, many changes happened in my thinking, in my attitudes, in my behaviors and everything after that point. But it was slow progress. It took time. Yet when I look back at it, it was really fast. You know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I think about everything that had to change, because many of my behaviors were horrible and I had foul language. I, you know, I would drink and things and I was never an alcoholic, but I still you know, sure. that was that was a coping mechanism if I had to. Food was usually more of a coping, coping mechanism, but things started changing. And this little old lady who went to a church in Rochester started coming to our church for a women's ecumenical Bible study. 
her and another woman. And she brought me these CDs one day and she said, the Lord told me to give you these. And I'm like, the Lord told you? The Lord talks to you? I was like all excited about that. (laughs) And she said, yep. And they were from a minister out of Branson, Missouri named Keith Moore from Faith Life Church. And I started listening to these CDs and my whole spirit inside of me just jumped up and down. I was like, and I didn't even know what that was, you know, but I was so excited. And I was listening to this. And the first thing it was, was the words of your mouth are important and different things. And boy, I started working on all that. It just was amazing to me. Well, the other lady that came with her, she actually became my mentor. But of course, that caused problems in the Methodist church because I started asking questions about things I read in the Bible. And the pastors and the people in the church couldn't answer them. They're like, no, we don't do that. We don't, that's, that's not, that's not viable anymore. And I said, but it says right here that this is what believers do. You know, they raise the, the dead, they heal the sick, they speak in tongues. And they're, boy, when I talked about speaking in tongues, they about flipped out. But this, this other woman, her, her name was Norma. Man, she was on fire for God and she knew her stuff and she became my mentor. So if we could go back, you, said that you feel like, you know, you had that transaction of salvation happen Mm -hmm. on that walk that you took on that gravel road. You said the big question you raised at that point was, you know, what is my worth? And that Mm -hmm. was kind of what you put out to God. But where does the gospel come into that conversation that you had with God that day? The gospel is, as Moses started preaching to the children of Israel, a release from bondage a release of freedom from what you've been tied to, the lies you've been tied to, the the things that you are stuck to. Mm -hmm. And that's what God sent Moses to do, to pull the people out of that, out of that bondage and out of that oppression, out of that labor and that hard work. Because we believed, and I believe, that the only way to be worthy of something was to work hard for it. The only way to be good enough was to work for it or, or to have other people praise me for it or whatever. And God started showing me, and it took time. It took a long time. But, you know, when he leaves the 100 to go to after the 99, it takes a while sometimes on that journey to find the one. And he did that. He has never let up on me, ever. And um, little steps, little steps, one at a time, he would break free the lies that I believed, the, the lies of I wasn't a good enough daughter, the lies that I wasn't a good enough brother or sister. I wasn't a good enough mother. I wasn't a good, you know, whatever. There was a lot of things that I wasn't good enough and that I believed because I had been told that even by my ex-husband who had had me give my children up for adoption because I wasn't a good mother. And God had to come in and show me that I was a good enough mother. He had to come in and show, he shows us our value and our worth little steps at a time because otherwise we don't believe him. We don't believe him. If he just came right out and said to you, oh, no, you're worthy and you're good because I made you worthy and good, and that's all there is to it, we're going to be like, yeah, no, we haven't been taught that. You know, we have so much every day pounding into our heads, into our thinking process, into our process period of being a person of what it takes to be good enough, to be enough. And then we have to go through the whole thing of, well, those people lied to me. Now I'm angry. You know, then we got to grieve it and we got to get over it. And there's a lot of work there. And it takes a lot of work. 
And it's not something that's that's discussed or that takes care of overnight. It isn't until we start believing God, no matter what we hear, no matter what other people say, that the gospel starts coming to life. The word of God comes to life in us because it's faith that makes it come to life. And we have faith to grow in so many areas that it takes a long time. Because, I mean, think about it. I'm 64 years old. This was 25 years ago. Well, I was already, what, not quite 40 yet, but I had 40 years of junk poured into my head. You know, junk and unbelief and devaluation and all that stuff had to be cleansed out. And fortunately for me, I'm not one who gives up. I don't quit. I keep digging deeper and faster and harder. But it's still a struggle. It's still a work that has to be done. And I think that's one of the things I hear the most when I go to prophetic words and stuff. God really appreciates how hard you work at believing him. And I'm like, that's that's what it takes. I have to believe him. It's not about working hard to prove anything to anyone else. I don't even have to work hard to prove anything to God. Mostly it's just me. I'm tending to to make myself understand. And it's hard to do. And it's a process, but the gospel is a process. Even when someone gets born again, their salvation, that day, okay, they've decided to make Jesus their Savior. But it takes a while for us to learn how to make Jesus the Lord of our life. We can make that comment that day, but we still don't understand what that is and how that's done. Because that's a process that it's going to take time to understand. You know, it's so funny because... I've gone to other groups where I've said to somebody, well, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And Well, of course. And then a day or two later, they'll come back to me and said, I just realized what you asked me. Uh, no, he really isn't. I have to let that happen. And, we, and you do. It's a hard work. You know, our only work in the Bible is to believe in him whom he sent. You know, and if we believe in him whom he sent, that takes a lot of work. Right. And I think different denominations and groups say it in different ways. Yep. You could call it refinement. You could call it sanctification, yep. you know, working through repentance, like all yep. of those things. But right. I think you're right that there is a moment of actually recognizing your need for Jesus mm-hmm. and your sinfulness and, you know, saying that belief, like, I believe Jesus, who you are and what you did on the cross but then, yes, if you're truly going to choose God and love him, that is a continual every single day, waking every up day. and looking at his word and saying, I believe you and I love you. So I'm going to put you and your thoughts and mindset above my own and choose, you know, what God says above what the world says. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard work. All the time. All the time. And I don't think we ever stop that work until we till we move on to heaven. Right. And I think that's also why the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God is so important because exactly. we can't please him on our own and we can't no. overcome sin on our own and we can't see who we are as God sees us on our own. Exactly. And when I hear your story, it's like, yeah, you had 40 years of people telling you the opposite of what God says about you, you know, and people not choosing you. And then God is like, well, I chose you. That's right. I chose you. Yeah. And I think 
that's what's so unique about the gospel. Yeah. I re- I remember back when I was, it's got to be about 15 years ago now, when he told me to quit working. That's a hard thing to do for someone who had five jobs and was always working to prove herself and, you know, to quit working. I was like, first thing I said was, uh, who's going to pay the bills? You know, whatever. And my husband said, who's going to pay the bills? You know, because <laughs> he was working full time and I was working full time and we barely was making it at the time, you know. And first thing he had to prove to me was that he was going to be a God who took care of me, provision. And he did. He showed up every time. When you were younger and you had that interest for God and, you know, you heard little bits about him, were you reading your Bible then? No. No. At what point did you start to read your Bible on your own? Um, I, I started reading my Bible somewhere after I graduated. No, it had to be before that because I, I knew scripture and I was quoting it. So I, I really don't know when I started reading my Bible. Part of the trauma of my childhood is, is there's a lot of things I don't remember. I, as far as when I started doing things like reading my Bible and stuff like that, I don't know. I know I really got into it once I started just going back and listening to the Lord and after my explosion on the gravel road is what I call it. But I, I started reading more and more. And I am a stickler for the word because I do not compromise the word of God at all. And um, that's okay with me. That doesn't bother me if people have trouble with that. But I think I started just really reading it then, but it never really stuck to me until later. You know, I mean, there were certain scriptures I started reading all the time and certain things I've, I learned to memorize. Isaiah 54, um, Psalm 91, Psalm 23, Psalm 112, 111. There were certain scriptures. There were certain scriptures that just always kept coming up. And when I would have a tough day, I would go through the Psalms and I would sing them as I read them in my head. I would be singing them in tongues out loud and things just started sticking used to start out with 10 minutes in the morning because that's all the time I had before I'd go to work. But then when God told me to start studying, I started studying all the time. I started going, uh, I started a correspondence course with Rhema Bible College and going through that. And I'd read every book and tape I could get my hands on and I would read them over and over and over and over every day. It was kind of like an immersion. God just had me immersed from about 2010 on. So when you were going through those times of questioning, like, your self-worth, was there any, like, practical things? You know, you were, you were talking about singing the Word of God, but was there any practical things that you did to just kind of get the, His worth into your mind, what He says about you, into your beliefs? So when a question would arise... When I would have somebody ask me something or I would be thinking about something that I'd say, Lord, is that true? I need to know the truth of that, whatever. God has this amazing way of having me put my Bible down on my lap. And I just sit there and I pray for a minute and I open my Bible. And wherever I opened it, somewhere within a page or two, I find an answer. And it's a beginning of an answer. And what I'll do is I'll start reading that and I'll start reading that and I'll go, okay, so we need to know more about this, Lord. Show me more about this. And I would look up references and I would get the Strongs out and look up the things that, that you know, coordinated with it or accompanied it or whatever. And so I love study Bibles because they give you a little more in-depth study and um, references to other scriptures. And, and that's kind of how I did it. And whatever God's word said, <laughs> I'd be like, all right, 
if that's what your word says, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm so grateful for that. It's a place where we go if we want God to help us, then we say to God, okay, I choose to do it your way. You have to help me do that. You have to show me how to do that. And you got to be willing to listen to him when he says it. And I had to, you know, I, I, that was my choice. If you had to tell someone the gospel in only 30 seconds, what would you say? There's absolutely nothing you've done that Jesus has not forgiven and died for. And if he loved you so much that he died for that, can you imagine what else he'll do for you? Because that's who God is. How does someone have a relationship with Jesus? It's all personal. It's all communication. I tell people it's not about any fancy prayers. It's not about any fancy readings or anything else. You need to know the Word of God. It's important because you don't know who God is if you don't know His character. But to have a relationship with God is just a conversation. And if you ask God questions and you really expect Him to answer you, He will. That's just all it is to it. That is all He's ever done for me. He always answers my questions. So you have a relationship with God. Do any of your siblings or parents now? My mom became very close with the Lord before she passed away. Uh, she had a lot of work to go through, too, because she was just believed she wasn't worthy. She'd done so many things wrong. You know, she'd lost all her children. She figured, she carried so much guilt that it was so, I don't know if she ever got over all of it before she passed away, but she got through a lot of it. And it was amazing. Yeah. And my my stepdad... Romans, he has come to the Lord, and I have two sisters who have come to the Lord, and one brother who's come to the Lord since then. And no, two brothers take that back, Jim. I forgot about, but yeah, there's more to come. But I know God's got it taken care of. I, I know that He promised me, and it's, it's a done deal. Not my timing, it's all His. So when you look back to just having kind of a difficult hurtful upbringing. Have you had the chance to kind of turn around and help other young women who are in that position? I do that a lot, actually, quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I have a dream and a, a mission to actually build a retreat center out here for women, um, private cabins, <laughs> who um, where women can come and just spend time with the Lord, getting to know Him, and if they need help or guidance in any way, I'm here and available for them. And that's just something I have a dream of, and, and the Lord gave me confirmation a year or two ago that that was to happen. So I'm just waiting for his timing to take care of that. For someone who has maybe never been to church and didn't have a pastor that invested mm -hmm. in you like you did, and they're just starting at, you know, zero with what they know about Christ and Scripture, how could you tell them that they could initiate that conversation? and start that relationship it's just a heart thing literally just ask jesus to to and just just ask him to listen to your heart i mean he knows it he just wants you to tell him because then you're asking him in you're opening the door you have to open the door once you open the door where does repentance fit in Repentance comes with, little, with every day he teaches you something new. Repentance is changing the mind. 
It's changing the way you thought about something or the things you believe. And that can't happen until you have that relationship with him and he has opportunity to show you truth. Right. Salvation comes in the recognition of Jesus being God's son and that he lived a perfect life and took our punishment for the wrong we have done against him through his death on the cross and then beat that death by raising again three days later, you know, and proving that death doesn't have victory over us and that we weren't intended to even go through that physical death. You know, that, right. that relationship was never supposed to be broken. That's right. And now that Jesus has overcome that death, we don't have to have that broken relationship anymore. Exactly. It can be restored. Always. And even physical death just brings us all the closer to him. It does not inhibit us from being with him any longer. Exactly. Deb, if you had anything that you wanted to leave with people today, what would it be? If I had anything that I would want people to remember, it is that God will chase you down and he will love you immensely. But remember that time is almost done because Jesus is coming again soon, very soon. And people think, yeah, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. But well, remember, they said that for 4,000 years till Jesus came. And then all of a sudden one day it happened and nobody believed it because it had been so long. It's going to happen again just that way. And I have a feeling it's going to be very soon. Don't know the day, the year, or the season, but I know it'll be very soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of The What Project. If you would like to stay connected, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope that you have a great week and that you will join us again on the next episode of The What Project.